Bible knowledge is incredible and a non-negotiable for any serious believer. But knowledge without application is futile, practically speaking. For the Bible to master any of us, we have to do more than read it. Think of it like this, uh, two silos that are standing side by side. One of those silos is full of knowledge and the other is replete with applications. When you examine your silos, are they keeping up with each other? Or is one lagging behind? Do you have more Bible knowledge than application? That's the big idea that I'm thinking about here. If you're building your life knowledgeably and with proportional applications, then you're in the best possible place in your Christian growth plan. Hello, everyone. This is Rick Thomas. You're listening to the Life Over Coffee podcast. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode. I am sharing an article with you, and the title of it is Five Things to Know If You Want God's Word to Master You. Now, what what you, what you could do here is you can watch this video if you want to. I am recording it on YouTube, on Rumble, and of course, our videos are embedded inside all the articles that we present, and so you can watch it. We have the, the audio here, too, and so you can listen to this podcast, and that's fantastic. If you want to read the article, then just go to our website, and you're looking for five things to know if you want God's Word to master you. So you can read, you can watch, or you can listen. Now, of course, if you subscribe to any of these platforms uh, like uh, Vimeo, I, I mean like YouTube or Rumble, also podcast, iTunes, uh, SoundCloud, Podbean, Google Play, whatever you subscribe to, would you be so kind to give us a five-star rating and write an excellent review so that more people can be uh, have the opportunity to take advantage of this content? It, help, it helps us organically when you do such things. All right, so let me get into this. Five things to know if you want God's Word to master you. And I want to begin by sharing a sad story about my friend Mabel. And perhaps you know somebody like this, and I trust this will help us to get started, and then I want to break it down into what we can do about it. Mabel did not grow up in a Christian home. During her first year of college, she learned of Christ's salvation. God regenerated her. Recently, she turned 30. And though it's been 11 years since God saved her, there has been no transformation in a significant way. She has gained knowledge about the Bible. She has been building up that silo. But transformation by the Bible has been challenging. Mabel is learning there is a disconnect between acquiring and applying knowledge, which keeps her from maturing in wisdom as a Christ-like example. A basic definition of, of wisdom is knowledge applied. Those two words, Put them together, juxtapose them, knowledge applied. When, when you have knowledge of the Bible applied to your life, then that is a short step to wisdom. Knowledge without application can lead to arrogance. This is what Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians 8.1. In the King James Bible, it says, you're puffed up. 
And that's what knowledge can do. You see that also with the Pharisees and uh, throughout the four Gospels. They had a lot of Bible knowledge. They knew a lot about the Old Testament. But when it came to application, they were very weak. And, of course, there were so many encounters between the Pharisees and Christ where he was debunking and deconstructing and just tearing down their knowledge because they were applying it in, in all the worst ways. And so knowledge standing alone would be a temptation for us to be arrogant, but application without knowledge can be foolish. It can lead to foolishness. This is the person who thinks they know the Bible, but they don't. And so they are applying knowledge, but that knowledge base is not from Scripture. And so if you have knowledge without application, you can be arrogant. If you have application without knowledge, it can lead to all kinds of foolish behavior. Mabel knows much about God's Word, but she has not been able to apply it transformationally. I would not say she was arrogant, though, based on what I was just saying about how knowledge without application could lead to arrogance. There could be some people who truly love God, but they're unwitting or they're innocent, and they just don't know how to apply it. And I would imagine that all of us were in that boat once upon a time. I most definitely was. After God regenerated me, my knowledge silo was filling up by the day. I mean, I could not get enough of the Bible. I had an insatiable appetite. But what was lagging was application. And so there is a caveat there that not all knowledge leads to arrogance. And knowledge is easier to acquire. I mean, you can study the Bible. You can read commentaries. I mean, you can even look up the Greek, even as a novice, and you can get into some of these more deeper and nuanced meanings of certain words in the Bible. And so growing a knowledge base is easy to do. But if we've been saved 10, 15 years and our application is still lagging, then there may be something seriously wrong. So Mabel, uh, she did not know how to apply the Bible, and so she was not changing transformationally. And again, she was not arrogant but she was frustrated. Mabel wants to change, and that's what you're really looking for, and that would be a distinguishing mark between her and the Pharisees. The Pharisees didn't want to change. They were truly arrogant. They had collected all, all of their knowledge, and, they, and they, they, they wore it you know, on their, on their hands and their arms and on their foreheads, and they were very arrogant about it. But Mabel was a different case study altogether. She is sincere, but she doesn't know how to do it. This tension point is where the Bible excels. It teaches us how to change, and that's what I want to talk about in this podcast. It does this because God designed the Bible to do precisely what Mabel craves. The Bible is the only divinely given authoritative book that teaches humans how to find restoration from the inside out. The Bible speaks clearly to all of the problems in life because the Bible is the soul book. Let me explain what I mean by that. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, it says this, All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Maybe at another day, I'll talk about this, this, this sequence there, the linkage there, and how the order is very profitable for us, for teaching, for reproving, for correcting, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. 
The more technical term for the Bible is the psychology book. Think about this. The word psyche means soul, and the word logos refers to the study of or the word concerning. You could say that that the word psychology, psyche logos, psyche logos means the study of the soul, study logos, soul, psyche, or the word concerning the soul. God is the creator of the soul, as we see in Genesis 2-7, that he breathed into man, and man became a living soul. He is also the creator of the word for the soul, as I just read you in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. And so God breathed into man, and man became an animated soul. Years later, he breathed into other men, and now we have God's inspired word, which teaches us how to be right with him, as well as how to overcome our fallenness. And so we have the perfect psychology book because... It contains God's words. God's breathe, his expired words. But here is the problem. Mabel has not learned how to profit from the word of God. She is stuck. And so the situation in view here is not the ineffectiveness of the Bible, but what is going on in Mabel's mind and life that keeps her from being mastered by the Bible? Who would have thought the most popular book ever written, probably the most undervalued and mocked book ever written, has the most transparent and accurate answers to humanity's problems? What do you think about the Bible? This would be a good reflection opportunity. Maybe stop the podcast and just meditate on that question for a little bit. Here's a second question. Do you believe the Bible is the most precise and accurate tool you have to understand the human condition? Let me share an illustration of that through the life of Christ. In John chapter 2, verses 24 and 25, it says this, But Jesus, on his part, he did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. And he needed, no, he needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Now, as you think about this, I do want you to keep in view the hypostatic union, that Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. And so as he operated on earth, he was operating as 100% man. He was not 98% man and 2% God, not in the hypostatic union, as though he was some kind of superman. No, Jesus was just like us, because some people will disqualify themselves by saying, well, Jesus was different. Yeah, he was different. There's no doubt about that. But he was operating in his humanity, which gives us a possible goal that we can reach toward. And so in John chapter 2 verses 24 and 25, it says that Jesus did not have to like entrust himself to those people because he knew what was in them. He had this extraordinary insight that the Bible and the illuminating spirit of God provides for us. Many people read their Bibles every day. But there is a difference between reading the Bible and mastering it. And the implication here is that we should be doing more than reading it daily. 
The way for God's Word to master us is to know how to connect God's Word to what is inside of us, which is what Jesus was doing in this text, connecting God's Word to what was inside the psyche of these Pharisees. And so we must know ourselves, our psyche, our souls, and God's Word, the Logos, psychology, and make the appropriate connections, understanding the soul is where Jesus becomes exhibit A on how to do this. He was a master at applying the Word of God to his life as well as to the lives of others. And you see his ability to do this in the text that I just read you, the last two verses of John chapter 2. The context was Jesus talking to a few Jews about destroying the temple and his eventual resurrection. These Jews were trying to trick him, and as the conversation was winding down in verses 18 through 22, John gives a commentary on that conversation, which I just read to you. Jesus was having the conversation he was having with the Jews, and that's when he reveals why Jesus did not entrust himself to them. John said that Jesus did not entrust himself to them because he knew what was in man. Can you hear this? Jesus' inside knowledge, he had inside insight to what was going on, and it was really incredible. Christ knew exactly what to say, knew exactly what to do, because he knew what was in those tricky people. Jesus knew individuals because he understood the Bible, the soul book, and he entrusted he entrusted himself to God, not to them, and he understood how to apply the Bible to the human condition, the psyche, the souls of men. And having this kind of inside information is our goal, understanding what is in us to change, knowing what we need to change based on understanding our souls through the interpretive filter of God's Word. We can be similar to Jesus in knowledge and practice. The art of discipleship is taking the Bible and applying it to humanity because of God's favor on our lives. And by the Spirit's enabling and illumination, we possess all we need in the soul book to figure out the human condition while bringing solutions to it. Without pressing the matter to its most technical conclusion, I don't want you to do that, but we are little psychologists, so to speak. Now, I realize there are gradations in skills and gifts and capacities and IQ and the ability to comprehend data and to process it and analyze it and to distribute it to and apply it to people. And so when I say we're little psychologists, don't push that to its furthest point in a most technical sense. But we have at least, depending on our gifting and our ability, a limited, we have a little bit of the ability to be little psychologists in that we can apply the Word of God to people's souls, even in a most uh, mediocre, elemental manner. And then we can also grow in that. The illuminating, empowering Spirit of God in us never leaves us in the dark about what to do with our problems or the problems of others. It is possible to learn how to master God's Word and for it to master us. Scriptures are clear. After regeneration, we grow up into Christ's likeness. Now, Mabel was not connecting these dots, which 
her inability to make the appropriate application to her life demonstrated. She had been to numerous Bible studies, silo number one, and just feeling it up, diligently reading the Bible for 11 years. But a personal transformation was not happening. Knowing and applying the Bible is the difference between heaven and hell, life and death, maturity and immaturity. Jesus and Mabel are the same as far as being fully human and fully capable. But his ability to understand and apply the Word of God was more transformative. And again, I want to talk about that as I get to the end. I want to give you, actually, I want to give you what the title of this, of this article suggests, five things to know if you want God's word to master you. And this is what, what Mabel needed to, to understand because she was not connecting the information that she needed to how she needed to apply it to her, uh, to her life. Having this kind of Inside information is your goal, understanding what is in you and what you need to change. And so we can be similar to Jesus in knowledge and, and practice. The most effective Christians are those who have a rich understanding of God's Word and the ability to apply it accurately to themselves and others. The Word of God and the Spirit of God give us this extraordinary perception and power. And this kind of understanding of God's book is what released Jesus to speak powerfully and authoritatively into the lives of others. This twofold gift is why some of the things Jesus said seem so off the wall. When you have this kind of knowledge and this kind of insight, some of the things that you say will be otherworldly in the best kind of way. He functioned with greater insight and clarity than most people of his day. You see an illustration of this when he, when he talked to Nicodemus in John 3 about being born again. His statements to Nicodemus completely flabbergasted Nicodemus. The educated Pharisee even asked Jesus in response, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? And you see this conversation in John 3, verse number 4. Nick knew a lot about the Bible. As I was saying earlier about the Pharisees, his silo was, was really maxing out. But like Mabel... He did not understand the Bible the way that he could have understood it. What appeared odd to him was perfect psychology, the word concerning the soul, the study of the soul. And it was perfect psychology to Jesus because he knew what was in man. He understood himself and others. Now, what we want to really hone in on is so for example if you take hebrews chapter 4 you're familiar with these two verses talking about god's word the psychology book let's remind ourselves what the hebrew writer said he says the word of god is living and active it is sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and of the spirit of joints and of mara and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him with whom we have to give an account. That is a powerful declaration of what the Word of God can do. If you can figure out yourself and bring biblical clarity to your life, you will not have difficulty figuring out and helping others. Important fact 
Each of us comes from the same Adamic cloth. You do not need to know seven billion different people. We don't need to reach the level of omniscience to know how to help people. You don't need to know every malady known to man. You only need to know what's in you, one soul. And the Bible is the book that will accurately give you that information. The Bible is clear, it's concise, it's insightful, and essential for sorting out things. There's, there's no, we don't want to think of uh, people being so different. Where you counsel people, where you disciple people is at the level of the heart. And though our stories are different uh, on the upper level, uh, the life that we live, the narratives that we have, the worlds in which we come from, the shaping influences that are unique to us, all of those things are on the outside in the upper level. But as you counsel people, as you move down toward the heart, you will find a cross similarity between all people. We all struggle with fear and anger and jealousy. We have, we, we, we have, we are opposed to suffering. Uh, there are so many things we lost. There are so many things that are similar because we're all cut from the same Adamic cloth. And as you disciple people at that level, then it's not necessary to know seven, people, seven billion people, but you need to know at least one, that's you, and how to connect the Bible practically to your life. The problem is never a lack of understanding when you examine life through the lens of the Word of God. Nobody is beyond the scope of the Bible's insight and clarity. Nobody is opaque when viewed through an open Bible and the Spirit's light shines on the soul. The problem always exists when we do not want to do what the Bible plainly teaches us to do. Perhaps you can reflect on this as you think about yourself. Has there been a time when God gave you clarity through his word, but you chose not to respond to it? I have done this many times. Was it a clarity problem as though the Bible was not effective, or was it a problem of an unwillingness to change? In my case, it has always been an unwillingness to change because the Bible is quite clear. And so as the Hebrew writers said that the Word of God is, is quick, it's active, it can penetrate, it can divide, the Hebrew writer went on to say, that was chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, he went on to say in chapter 5, in verses 12 through 14, something else that is really different and sobering. I'll just read the last sentence, which is verse 14. He said, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment train by constant practice to distinguish between good and evil. And so the Bible can do all these wonderful things, but we have to get in the gymnasium. We have to do the work so that we can distinguish between good and evil. And so with those things in mind, I want to give you five simple things that will help you to become a master of of the Word of God. If you practice these things, you will have greater insight into people, especially you. In time, you will become mastered by the Word of God, but be warned, it will take work. And if you're not willing to do this kind of heavy lifting, then you won't change. You're listening to the podcast, Five Things to Know. If you, if you want God's Word to master you, you can read this article completely. You can also watch it as well as listen. Read, watch, and listen. Here are the five things that I want to share with you to, to be mastered by God's Word. Number one, these are in order. Number one, pray. Pray. Before you start reading your Bible, take the time to pray. 
And I want you to pray a specific way. Ask God to open your eyes to what you are reading. What I'm talking about here is active, engaged praying. And so when I say pray, that's always the obvious answer. It's like the answer to every question for a Christian is, well, you just need to pray about it. Well, I'm talking about a specific kind of prayer. Dear God, open my eyes. Help me to see what I might not see. Help me to see what I can't see. Help me not to be blind to my blindness. I, I am actively praying here, and I'm engaging you that you're going to open my eyes to some of your wonderful truths that I can apply to my life. Number one, pray. Number two, read. Explore expectantly. It's kind of like active prayer. You do the same thing with your reading. God will reveal things to you about yourself. Anticipate this because you humbly ask it. Be alert. Look for Bible truths like a man mining for gold. Resist reading by rote. Read because you want to, not because you have to. Job said it this way, I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Make yourself hungry. Read expectantly. Pray actively. Number three, reflect. When God eliminates your mind, stop reading. Start reflecting. Think about what God is showing you in light of the word you just read. Don't be a legalist. Just stop. I got to get through them chapters today. No, stop. Just stop. If you find something worth your reflections, pray Read, reflect, number four, write. Take time to write down what God has shown you. When your thoughts go from a page in the Bible to your brain, down your hand, and onto a piece of paper or a computer screen, you're probably going to own it. I mean, you're taking ownership of it by going through that process. It will be yours to keep forever. Now, maybe that you're not a writer, and, and I get that everybody's not. And so number five is teach, and this is kind of tied to it. If you can do both, that's a double bonus. But if you're not a writer, then you absolutely want to do this one. I would encourage you to do both if you can. Number five, teach. Within 12 hours, that's an arbitrary time frame. But tell someone what God taught you. The teacher will always learn more than the student because you have to doubly prep because you're teaching them. Teaching is an active exercise. The student is a passive exercise, so you want to teach. And if you can teach what God taught you, now it's going to start to master you. Five things to implement to be mastered by the Bible. And then there's one more thing. As you make this simple way of studying God's Word part of your regular practice, you can also add memorization to your daily habits. If the Word of God is what it says it is, what better thing can you do than to put it in your brain? Do you need inspiration for memorization? If you do, I can give it to you. Let me ask, do you want to stop sinning? Is that your inspiration? I want to stop sinning. It's mine. Then try this verse on for size. It's Psalm 119.11. You know it. Quote, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And so if you're a kind of person that, that's, that immediately says, I can't do memory work, well, let your inspiration be Psalm 119.11. As mysterious as the Bible can be to some people, it's not that complicated to bring soul change, but it takes work. Though you will never fully mine it or fully understand its content, 
You can find what you need to change. The real question becomes whether you want to put in the effort to change. If you are willing to open your life up to the probing of the Spirit of God and the Word of God, then James says there is something good for you in James 4, 8, uh, chapter 4, verses 6 and 8. He says God gives grace to the humble. And you can read uh, both all three of those verses, 6, 7, and 8. It is it is very encouraging. As I wrap up, I want to give you a call to action. It's, it's kind of straightforward based on what I've been saying. I guarantee that if you take these things to heart, ask God to change you through what I have shared with you here, and you implement these practices into your life, I guarantee you that you will not only change, but you will learn the Bible in such a way that your application implementations will be transformative. If you struggle with procrastination or laziness or other self-hindering sin patterns, then I would appeal to you to reach out to someone and and share with them. This is what I want to do, but I am just truly struck uh, stuck, and so I I need some motivation because I do want to change. I want to build up my application silo because I know a lot about God. I've been to Sunday school for a hundred years. I've heard a million sermons, but my knowledge base is so high. My silo is reaching into the heavens, but my ability to apply it is minuscule, and I need help because I'm stuck. I have some ideas here based on what Rick was sharing, but I just need some help. Number two, what will be your next step? What will be your next step? Consider, this is what I suggest, considering sharing your plan with a friend so that they can be part of what God does for you. Who knows? What you're doing here and what you share with them, it could be contagious. You may start a a biblical application contagion, and that would be a wonderful thing. Five things to know if you want God's Word to master you. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.